Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello. Hello. Hey. How was your weekend? Um, I don't have anything interesting to say about the weekend. Great. Me neither. So today we are calling staff writer Derek Thompson, who covers the economy. Uh, what did you want to talk to him about? Derek and I have talked actually a lot about the future of New York and how it could possibly survive. It's like a magnifying glass on the exact same things that happen in smaller, less dense cities. People wondering whether their city can survive and how the businesses will survive and whether culture there will, you know, are these restaurants just going to go out of business? Have you ordered from restaurants? A tiny bit, but only because I wanted to support local places. It's just not worth the risk to you? Or you like cooking your sort of like dense (laughs) sort of vitamin patties? Yeah, I mean, is there anything you can't just blend? Um, I, uh, for me, almost all of the value of going to a restaurant is the experience. Um, So if you just have the food, I would have just made something myself. Do you cook for yourself? Yeah. Besides the dense vitamin patties that I know you make? (laughs) Everyone should be aware that Jim is always eating like weird, sort of like mushed up, healthy things, now like out lying. of plastic bags. No, this is true. Oh, yeah. I don't even, what do you call them? We can get into this later. They're, it's patented, so. But food for me is not a, uh, in a, it's not really about joy. It's kind of just about sustenance. I know it's weird. That is so sad. I know. Well, people say it's sad, but you know. Uh, Jim, sometimes I think you should just let yourself, like, live a little, you know? (laughs) Even before this, all this, like, you're so disciplined. You're tense. Really? Anyway, this isn't about your control issues. No, no, it's definitely not. Yeah, let's keep it on restaurants. And the fact that you don't really enjoy one of life's greatest pleasures, food, you treat it only as, like, a robotic sort of caloric formula, which is strange, but I love restaurants. I love restaurants, too. Have you been ordering from restaurants? Can I turn the tables by asking you a question? Um, I, I haven't. Not even once. Okay. But I feel guilty about that. But just every interaction is so fraught. It's scary. But Right. So you I just, just have to, to do it real it. carefully. And, and, and these things can be done carefully. And it's, it's, they're, they're going to have to be if the restaurants are going to continue to exist at all going forward. Well, that's the question, right? Like, what is the long-term future? Are they actually going to come back? Yeah, I'd love to hear from someone who knows more about what that's going to look like than I do. Is it you? No, but Derek Thompson does, and we should talk to him. And I know Derek loves restaurants. Yes. We can ask him, but I feel like it's fair to say that Derek is someone who really loves restaurants, unlike you. Derek? Hi. Hey, Derek. Derek, you like restaurants, I know. I do. Is this fair to say? Yeah, I love them. What do you like about them? Well, uh, what do I love about restaurants? Um, I love eating. I love food. I love cocktails. I love trying out new drinks. And obviously, I love restaurants for all those pretty straightforward reasons. But I also think that restaurants serve like 
an existential function for me. There's just so much going on in the world all the time, not just now, but, but, but generally. And I sometimes find it like difficult to like focus on the here and now. Like I'm always being pulled away by my phone or by like some curiosity about an article that I want to write. And I find that my focus on other people, whether it's friends or family or my fiance, is just like heightened by being at a restaurant. The other half, I think, is that there's just something lovely about like sharing a private plate in a public, buzzy place. They offer privacy in part because, ironically, of how public they are. That ambient sort of anonymity and energy and just the sort of like you are one with the hive yeah. feeling. Yeah, yeah, being one with the hive is beautiful. And I also love going to restaurants alone sometimes. If I'm in the middle of a novel that I'm just really, really digging, there is truly no greater joy than like bringing that novel alone to the bar of a steakhouse and just like being there alone with an open book and, uh, and a slab of, of meat muscle. Do you like yelling at other people to be quiet while you're reading? Um, I don't <laughs> yell with my voice. I yell with my eyes. Ah. Uh, mm -hmm. I love doing little angry, piercing side glares at people. Yes. I'm having right. a steak here. I, I try to use that voice as well. <laughs> all right. We know where we all stand on restaurants. So what's happening to them? I mean, this isn't just happening to restaurants, obviously. This is happening to all business, but I assume it's particularly bad for retail since nobody can go anywhere. Um, how much are businesses suffering right now? Do we have any way to quantify that? Yeah, I guess uh, two numbers that would help you quantify how bad it is for restaurants right now. The first is um, zero. Uh, that's the number of, of reservations that have been made on open table in the last uh, two weeks because the dine-in business in the U.S. Uh, and really throughout the world has been effectively um, eliminated. And the other is negative 60%, which is the change in restaurant spending uh, over uh, the last month and a half. Independent mom-and-pop restaurants where dine-in is essentially their whole business, for a lot of them, it, it has gone to zero. Are there any businesses that, that are doing okay? Yeah, the businesses that are doing okay tend to be those businesses that were already doing okay with delivery before the pandemic effectively made delivery the entire restaurant business. Overall restaurant spending being down 60% doesn't mean that every restaurant is down 60%. Domino's is doing good. Pizza delivery is doing really nicely. Um, mm -hmm. A couple other sort of you know takeaway places like Chinese restaurants are doing okay. Other places that have typically served sort of comfort food that holds up all right to delivery those are doing okay too. Um, it's the, it's really the the, the sit-down places that have been uh, utterly gutted. How how big is the restaurant industry? Like how much of a part of the economy is the restaurant industry prior to the pandemic? So in the last few years, for the first time in American history, Americans started spending more money on uh, what the government calls food away rather than food at home. So food away means uh, restaurants, it means stuff you pick up at a convenience store, it means salads you pick up at fast casual, even if you don't sit down um, at the sweet green. Um, Americans had just recently started spending more on, all that, on that kind of food than it had been spending on groceries. You know, you could argue that restaurants had never been more important to uh, the United States, not just from like an emotional cultural level, but like from a hard economic level, like restaurants had never been a larger part of America's food budget. So that's why I've been looking so deeply into how the pandemic is affecting the restaurant business, because I think it's kind of a canary in the coal mine, the way that they respond. 
is going to anticipate and predict a lot of the, the way that the rest of the retail industry is going to respond. And how is that? Well, you're going to see a really critical shift from in-store experience to delivery. Right. And that's accelerating things that were already happening. It's not like the pandemic is inventing the concept of delivery food, mm -hmm. um, but it's going to accelerate a lot of a lot of this. You know, at the at the biggest picture level, Americans right now are spending, or before the crisis, we're spending about fifteen percent of total retail uh, online. That's predicted to go. That was growing about one percentage point a year, and it's predicted to go this year to twenty five percent. So we're going to experience a decade's worth of acceleration in e commerce in a matter of months. That's going to happen, you know, maybe times two or three in the restaurant industry. Um, you're going to see a lot of restaurants uh, become, you know, something like prepared grocers. They might give you a bunch of prepared appetizers and then give you an uncooked steak. And then maybe they'll give you some pre-prepared uh, uh, liquids and, and alcohols for you to make your own cocktails at home as well. So that you can effectively have the restaurant experience in your own dining room. That's something that a couple of restaurants are talking to me about. Really? Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important. I mean, uh, you know, I was going to say alcohol is really important, um, but I, I don't want to, um, <laughs> I, I want to take into consideration uh, Jim's very good advice that we don't want to oversell. No, no, uh, the please. I, this is more of a culture conversation. Okay. I've, okay. I've made the necessary caveats, but I, I okay. am concerned about the points that are made very well in your story that restaurants might reshift to delivering people alcohol in their homes, which right. is... Um, just one of my few key rules about how to have a healthy relationship with drinking. Well, I think it's really important to be clear about why alcohol is such an important part of the restaurant picture. Think about what people are most likely to order from a restaurant for dinner. It's likely to be, you know, appetizers and entrees, right? Well, appetizers and entrees are the least profitable parts of the restaurant menu. Yeah. The most profitable parts of the restaurant menu are dessert, which practically nobody orders online, and booze. Uh, at least historically in the US, illegal to order online from restaurants. So I think we need to rewrite the rules. We need to find ways to allow people to make higher profit orders from restaurants. Otherwise, uh, either the restaurants are going to go out of business or the prices for appetizers and entrees are going to go way up. And you're going to see inflation in the restaurant business in order to compensate for the fact that their highest margin stuff just doesn't sell in the delivery economy. This is really bad for, for, for all the reasons that I like restaurants, just the experience, because I don't care that much about the food. It mm -hmm. sounds like that is just going away. And it's a mix of some sort of blue apron type creations where I'm going to get delivered a raw steak and an expensive, not even mixed drink. And I'll, me, I'll just say, you know, I could have got that steak elsewhere and I could have had drinks delivered to me from, you know, the liquor store or gone to the liquor store. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I it feels like it's going to become a real luxury service, right? Yeah, and this is this is why, you know, in the short term, I'm just really really pessimistic about the restaurant oh, business. Man. Um I think that the last 20 years have really been a golden age for restaurants in America, and uh I think that age is coming to a brief end. And in a way, you know, I I, I joke in the piece that it's kind of like we're returning to the 1890s. Um in the 1890s, you had a, a virtual retailer called Sears. I was um, going to ask you about Sears. I saw yeah. Sears in there and I was like, yes, Derek is on his Sears beat. I'm, on my, I'm back in the Sears beat. Because I'm back in the 1890s beat. Sears. Sorry. 
I just love their jeans. Um, I love the way they fit. <laughs> no, you've um, written amazing pieces about Sears over over the years. It's this, like microcosm of the American economy, and like here we are again. So yep. yeah. Well, Sears was the Amazon before Amazon. Uh, it was a virtual retailer that delivered a Bible's worth of goods to people's front doors, mm -hmm. uh, and they ordered by mail. Um, so it did everything that Amazon did, except it did it with the post office rather than the internet. Um, and in the 1890s, you not only had uh, a virtual Sears economy where you could order literally whatever you wanted from their catalog, you also didn't really have a restaurant business as it's currently uh, understood. America, America was, was more rural. Uh, it wasn't even suburban. It was, it was a majority rural. And as a result, people cooked at home and they did childcare at home and they taught their kids at home. And when you think about that world, you know, combining the fact of a all at home economy with a virtual retailer, that's kind of what modern life is. We're all stuck at home. People who, who are parents are, are stuck, are, are raising their kids and necessarily sending them to school. Um, they're doing their work at home. They're essentially working on their own private farms, except their private farms are on their computers. And they're ordering stuff uh, through a virtual retailer. We're, we're, we're back to the 1890s. Um, and I don't say that because it's, it's such a good thing. I, I, I just say it because the historical echo can't be uh, refused. And there's also a large contingent of the population that appears not to believe in germ theory. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And I can't vote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I... I have a question. If we are following this theory that, like, in some ways our economy is reverting back to the economic structure of the 1890s, I think of earlier eras as being much more full of small businesses and not having, like, one of the dystopian things about American life now or, Amer or pre-pandemic is just the sort of prevalence of chains and the sameness of every place. Is there going to be some, like, return to smaller businesses, too? So I I don't really see any good news for mom and pops. Um, I think, in, in fact, at least three things are going to work against them. First, they have uh, much more meager savings than larger companies, which means that they're, it's going to be harder for them to survive the pandemic summer, the pandemic fall, the pandemic winter. Companies are going to need to brace themselves for a period of you know, lower consumer spending, larger companies have the savings to do that. Mom and pops don't, that's number one. Number two, I think that um, you're gonna see disruptions to immigration. You're already seeing the president trying to shut down immigration entirely. Um, even if he didn't, even if we had you know, a Biden administration, you still effectively have a, a, a lockdown, a shutdown throughout much of Latin America and throughout much of the world, which means that it's going to be harder for global migration to happen, um, even if we have liberal immigration rules. And immigrants are responsible for a huge share of our restaurants and retailers um, in, in urban areas. And then number three, I just think that big businesses are going to use elements of the slow recovery to get even bigger. They're going to merge and say that, that these mergers are necessary to save jobs and the feds are going to let them. They're going to have the money to install things maybe like temperature checks and extra sanitizers um, and other elements of social distancing. Um, they're simply going to be more resilient in the next few years. And as a result, that means, I think, that we're going to see a kind of flattening of the American city. Um, you and I have talked about seeing this sort of thing happen in New York where there are even in popular parts of the city, really expensive parts of the city, all of a sudden these storefronts, restaurants that were just empty. And you've written about this too. And it seems to be, at least in part, because people who work in these places working as waitstaff and 
barbacks and everything can't afford to live in that area anymore. And so what you're saying is that maybe this pandemic effect could even accelerate that it bottoms out and we start over again. Um, a lot of those businesses are going to go away and a lot of bank branches and CVSs and Paneras are going to move in. Now that, that all sucks, I think. Um, and I'm not rooting for it. I just think that it's probable. But the very fact that it sucks means that prices in cities, uh, commercial rent prices, residential rent prices, are likely to fall. Cities are going to be a little bit more sucky in the next few years. And as rents fall, um, that will actually be good, I think, for the future of the American city. It will allow the artists to move back in, the counterculture to move back in, the wonderful weirdos um, whose eccentricities define the, the best uh, urban neighborhoods, they'll be able to move back in too. I, I would put it this way. Anything that makes American cities a little bit cheaper will, in at least some respects, be good for the middle class because it will allow more people from the middle class to live in cities. Now, the mechanism that is making cities cheaper or that I think will make cities cheaper is a terrible mechanism. It's a <laughs> pandemic. It's killing people. It's destroying businesses. It's, it's exploding mom and pop dreams across the country. It's not a good mechanism, but even tragedies can have unexpected silver linings. Um, so I, I just think what, you know, it's, there's a lot of bad that's going to happen, but I, I, I also think that in the long run, there's going to be some good that happens as well. Derek, would you call yourself an optimist? I would. Um, I want to read you a sentence from your piece that I at first thought was an error. The quote is, you wrote this in your piece, because the pandemic pauses the present, it forces us to live in the future. And I read that and I like did a double take because to me, I keep thinking the pandemic like obliterates the future. So you can, I've had the experience of only being able to live in the present. Interesting. Um, I certainly can't tell you you're wrong. Um, so I'll say this first, uh, when I was actually reviewing the piece last night and I read that line and I kind of paused at the line too. I thought, you know, to what extent do I really mean this, that the pandemic pauses the present and forces us to live in the future? Um, I could totally imagine having, you know, taking the other side of this, taking your side of it and saying that, in fact, the pandemic pauses the future and forces us to live in the present. This is why, though, I think I, I, I stand by the line. I feel like right now, so much of life is sort of frozen in a state of uncertainty. We don't know uh, when our cities are going to come back to life. We don't know when we can see, you know, our loved ones and our families and our friends, when we can hug people. And because there, we live in this sort of pocket of uncertainty, I think it pushes a lot of people to imagine, you know, when does normal return? When can I, when can I live the life that I love again? When, when will my city come back? When will my neighborhood come back? When will my family reunion or wedding happen? And that because the pandemic is such a shock to certainty, it, it forces us to imagine alternate futures. Um, so that's why I think uh, you see across the media and across, I don't know, like a lot of social media, a lot of wondering about the future because we're, we're, we're so eager to, to think through uh, the, the alternative timelines that will you know, lead us back to the normal lives that we loved. Yeah. There's no normal lives, man. You know, if you spend two years social distancing, 
how long will it be before people really truly pack the restaurants in the same way? Right? Yeah, I... I mean, feel comfortable doing that, feel like it's a desirable thing, and also have the income to be able to do it. Don't don't just start feeling weird about it. You know, like, are we going to actually shake hands again? I, do, I definitely don't want to make a prediction about handshakes because... I yes, just you think, do. Okay, no. uh, handshakes... <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I, I, I just... I, I could not be more ambivalent about handshakes. I think, I think with restaurants... I, I think it's gonna be really, really tough. I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't know when they're gonna feel totally normal again. I think what's going to happen is that there's gonna be this weird purgatory where the restaurant experience is like totally changed. Yeah. Where restaurants feel more awkward and more quiet and more empty and more sort of cavernous than they used to. Like clinical. And that, and clinical. Yeah, a little, a little dentist office. And I mean, literally, there will be like, like antiseptic. Uh, things around us there will be hand hand sanitizers there'll be laminated menus that are constantly lysol down yeah and dental floss and dental (laughs) exactly root canals after you finish your dessert and i think that um i think that that's going to change for a lot of people right the the joy that's inherent to to dining out the carelessness that that's that's inherent to dining out you know like i love getting drinks with people because i can forget about the world but if you but if going to the restaurant makes you feel more anxious and more a part of a dangerous crowd, then being in a restaurant will make you feel more on edge rather than less. You'll want to retire to your living room because that's where you can truly feel safe. I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be really weird in the next few years. Yeah. Okay. Just one last question before we let you go. And Jim, if you could just like plug your ears for a second. Oh no. Is she gonna? She's gonna um, say something that I think or do that's not entirely no, no, true. No, 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 no. Okay. It's not about you, um, Derek. I've been thinking about getting some cocktail supplies. Mm. Um, what should I get to go with my whiskey? Uh, you need to get some sweet vermouth so you can make yourself some Manhattans. Okay. I recently bought some vodka and gin to make uh, mm. martinis. Mm. And yeah, and last night I made a gin fizz with a little bit of egg white because I figured, why the hell not? Let's give this <laughs> a shot. Why the hell not? Um, I miss uh, I miss going to restaurants and having cocktails with you. I miss that as well. Um, Jim, you can come back. We're done. Phew. Phew. Uh, we were just talking about like the health foods that we like to eat. Well, yeah, radishes for me. <laughs> yeah, we were just emphasized. talking about how much we love radishes. Oh, g- great! <laughs> I uh, I thought we'll do a whole up on radishes later. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, you got anything else, Jim? Uh, yeah, lots of things. But what? Maybe we could talk to Derek again in the future because actually there are other elements of the economy besides um, just restaurants that I'm interested. Really? In yeah. Derek, will you talk to us again, or has this been really, really the last time <laughs> that you'll put um, up with us? The, um, you know, um, right now I'm feeling this is the last time right now I'm feeling, you know, I'm hearing yes, exhausted, but, um, you know, I feel like, you know, in, in time I'll recover and probably okay. be willing to yeah. do this again. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you so much. This is really, it's so sad, but it's, I know, it sucks. it's helpful to know. We'll talk to you again soon. I hope. Thanks so much, Derek. All right. Bye guys. Take it easy. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Jim, speaking of recipes, though, yeah, I'm sorry I made fun of you about your like health pancakes or whatever. But what what are they, and should I make them? How oh, do you make them? Well, there's something called Dr. Hamblin's Healthy Hearty Whole Wheat Fruit Rounds, 
and I can't share the recipe, but they are high fiber and they will move your bowels in a healthy way. <laughs> and I think we need more of that. Um, what are, what are your health patties called? Dr. Hamblin's Healthy, Hearty, Whole Wheat Fruit Rounds. Fruit Rounds. Yeah. They look like pancakes, but I did not want to use that word because they are so different. And you won't give me the recipe? No. Great. <laughs> but you've tried them and you know they're darn good. Um, yeah, I just have no idea what was in them. Probably yeah. lots of powders or something. <laughs> no, no. Um, anyway... This show was produced today by Alvin Melleth with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. You can write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com. We are uh, going to answer some listener questions in probably this week. And so this is a good time to get your questions in if you have uh, questions that you would like Jim to answer. Or perhaps we could bring them to uh, some of the other wonderful people at The Atlantic. So write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com. And we'll talk tomorrow. Over a nice, juicy radish. Yeah. Love, love radishes. Okay. Always, always been one of my favorites. Okay. Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.